0: There are two dilemmas that rattle the human skull. How do you hold on to someone who won't
1: stay? And how do you get rid of someone who won't go?
2: From Pod 617 Productions, it's Shine On, a presentation of Berkman, Botger, Newman, and Shine. Now here's your host, attorney Evan Shine.
0: Episode four of the Shine On podcast. I'm Evan Shine. Happy New Year, everyone. Wow. Do we have an absolutely incredible show today? The first show of 2021. And I'll tell you what, 2021 is going to be a much better year. And it's a year that I'm looking forward to. And as always, on the Shine On podcast, the legendary executive producer, Dave, is with us. Dave, how are you?
2: I'm good. 2021, I'm excited for it. Although I'll say this, when the calendar turned, nothing magically got better. (laughs) In fact, a couple things got worse. It just in general in our country, but we have our health and we have the Shine On podcast. And so we're, we're happy to bring it to you.
0: Absolutely. And Dave, as we kick off 2021 here on the Shine On podcast, we have an absolutely outstanding guest and an incredible lineup of shows and guests booked to start the year. Today's guest is fantastic, former professional athlete and entrepreneur. Malcolm Lemons is our featured guest this week on the Shine On podcast.
2: All right, Evan, as we do on every episode, we look at the news when it comes to divorce, family law, etc. Sometimes with celebrities, other people in the news. Are you ready, sir, for the docket? Let's do it. All right. And now let's see what's on the docket. Well, Evan, you'll be unsurprised to hear that when it comes to divorce news and family strife news or whatever, um, people want to hear about Kanye and Kim. Take a quick listen to this clip from, I believe, Entertainment Weekly on Kim and Kanye.
3: Kim Kardashian and Kanye West appear to be headed for a split. And now a source tells ET that the reality star has considered divorcing the rapper and that their marriage counseling hasn't made much headway. I mean, we have different views sometimes, but that's my husband, you know? Quote, she knows what's best for her and their kids, so if things ended, she would want them to end amicably so they can co-parent together as best as possible. The source adds that the two have been living separate lives for months, with Kanye staying on their ranch in Wyoming, so any issues they're having aren't a surprise to Kim's family or friends. Kanye and Kim have been trying to save their marriage, but it's been difficult when he acts out. She is focused on raising her kids and making sure they're in a safe, stable environment. And the source notes that the KKW beauty founder has felt overwhelmed trying to take care of him too. That's not stuff I, we put on social media. Sure. I'm not going to, you know, just start tweeting what my thoughts yeah. are. Um, but, yeah, we have those moments. Meanwhile, a second. So
2: that's then. probably enough. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's hard to know what's really going on in, in a celebrity marriage like that. But people want to know. And, you know, it, it, it sounds like you tell me, Evan, it, there were sort of some themes in there about a, a a marriage, you know, coming apart had, or maybe just kind of coming to its natural end that that transcends the celebrity world. But tell me what your thoughts are in hearing that, that news. Dave,
0: hey, my thoughts are this. Look, if you're a divorce attorney, this is what you love. This is what you live for. This is what gets you up in the morning. Look at the issues. You have two celebrities, megastars. You have houses. You have multiple houses. You have compounds. You have s- income streams from... Multiple sources, Kim and Kanye, they're more than stars. They're brands. Both were established before the marriage. They both continued to earn at an ultra, ultra high level during the marriage where their wealth increased substantially. There's a prenup. There's a lot of discussion and reports about a property in Wyoming where Kanye apparently owns the house and Kim owns the land. There's valuations, appraisals, sources of income. Wow, there mm-hmm. is so much to unpack in the divorce, in this divorce going forward. And as much as Kim says she wants to keep it quiet, there's nothing about Kim and Kanye that's quiet. Right. You know, I always, encourage, <laughs> yeah. I, I always encourage encourage my clients to try to stay out of the public eye as much as possible. And there's reports that Kim is being represented by the well-known and excellent. L.A.-based divorce attorney, Laura Wasser. And here's the thing. The news that they're splitting up shocks no one. right? Trust me. It doesn't shock Kim and Kanye. Yeah. I mean, Kim's making reference to, to you know, counseling and, and concerns that she had going back years. And there's been rumbling for a substantial period of time about their relationship and the ups and downs. But I'll tell you this. I would not be surprised if there were substantial divorce conversations in negotiations before the official announcement mm. that they were splitting up made its way to social media. Because when you work with high profile clients, especially in the sports and entertainment and finance worlds, you try to keep the divorce negotiations private the best that you can. And, In a perfect world, you try to resolve as much as you can as an attorney before your client or your client and the other side announce the split, whether it's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or whatever social media platform people are announcing their breakups uh, as of the moment.
2: It's hard for Kim to stay off Instagram since that's where she made millions and zillions of dollars in the first place. Right. (laughs) So
0: I guess is this you telling me, uh, you know, good luck if you think Kim is going to stay off social media during her divorce. (laughs) Probably. But
2: I mean, from the sound of things, I mean, who knows? I mean, they're both very odd people. And if, if it goes as Kim sounds like she's kind of sort of hinting at Maybe it could be amicable. I mean, we've seen major celebrities divorce amicably before, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow famously described her marriage as a decoupling and not a divorce. And uh, so, you know, I, I just want to know uh, which side is President Trump coming down on this because he's buddies with both of them, right? I hope he doesn't no, have to pick a and, side. And look,
0: you, you, you mentioned the divorce being amicable. That remains to be seen. Even Kim's statement in that clip, mm. I know what's best, right. but I want to co-parent. Those two statements, they contradict one another, right? Right. So it remains to be seen how this divorce unplays itself, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it again on another episode of the Shine Podcast.
2: I'm sure we will. Item two on the docket, Megan King says so-called COVID courts are delaying her divorce. So she says, I... I am married as ever. Now, Megan King was, uh, of course, a star of the, well, I say, of course, because I'm reading from it. I'm not a fan, but the Real Housewives of Orange County alum opened up about her split from former professional baseball player Jim Edmonds, noting that the COVID-19 pandemic has delayed the exes from finalizing their divorce. So she says, back to 2020 goals. Looking back, mine were pretty lofty. My main one wants to get divorced, but here I am as married as ever, she wrote in a blog post on Thursday. Dude, COVID courts won't even let me get divorced. I feel like that pretty much sums up 2020. I can't even accomplish the shittiest thing on my list. (laughs) So uh, poor (laughs) Megan can't even get her marriage over with. But your thoughts on this one, Evan?
0: Well, David, my first thought is if there was a time to admit that you watch – the real housewives now it on the shine on podcast.
2: I don't. And that, that's not to say I'm not um, a fan of trashy reality TV. I've been and my, my girlfriend has gotten me into watching the show. Chrisley knows best, which is among the most unspontaneous reality shows ever about a wealthy family in Nashville. It, it is just, it might as well be scripted, but anyway, what do you think about <laughs> What do you think about Megan? This thing about COVID courts too. I don't know.
0: I'll tell you what, it's a real concern. And Megan King is not alone here. She is absolutely right when she says, I feel as married as ever. Look, as a divorce attorney, I am experiencing this with my clients and my cases. Recently, in the beginning of 21, I had a case that was scheduled for trial. We were all set to go forward. Seven dates were on the calendar, two dates back to back, experts, psychologists, ready to testify in a virtual world. And this was a case that originally started in 2018. And it was scheduled for trial in person several times in 2020. And no surprise, it was pushed off because of COVID and the quarantine and the pandemic. And then the virtual dates were set and people wanna move forward with their lives and they want resolution, they want closure. And although the courts are open and cases are moving forward in many respects, this is proof that the courts are not uniform in how they're moving forward when it comes to trial. And after months of the trial being pushed off, the court, in my case, determined that it was going to proceed virtually. And this was confirmed several times with the judge, with the experts, with the adversary. And the day before the trial was set to start, the court pushed it off again, Mm. determining not to proceed virtually. And I'm seeing this. And as optimistic as I am, as you are, as people are about 2021, when it comes to the legal process and the court system, I still think 2021 is going to be a year of sorting through the backlog, figuring it out from a technological standpoint, which cases are moving forward and which cases are not and if cases are ready to move forward in a virtual world, which is the world we're living in, the courts should move forward in that way.
2: Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, the the frustration is real. The frustration with courts moving slowly is nothing new. Of course, it's been around forever. And this just year has made it worse. But I think maybe you agree what it comes down to is. If there's some urgent situation, that's something you can help your clients with. Some threat of domestic violence, some threat of kidnapping a child or something like that. But for the most part, you know, you, we have to yield to safety and the COVID thing is real. And so, sorry, Megan, <laughs> for now <anyways. laughs> no, yeah. Dave, yeah.
0: Dave you, you mentioned two examples of domestic violence, kidnapping. There are certain family law issues and really important issues. That the courts will hear and the courts will address but whether it's megan king or the client in my case where the matter started in 2018 that those issues are not present and these are people who just want closure mm. and to move forward with their lives it may be beyond 2021 before you get it
2: mm. Well, the third and final item on the docket has to do with the times we live in as well. This is from a blog post on Marketplace.org. A lot of folks canceled big weddings during the pandemic, so perhaps it's no surprise that a new study finds fewer people got married last year. The Bowling Green State University Demographics Study that looks at five states also suggests a big drop in divorces by as much as 36% in New Hampshire, for example. The thing about divorce is it's expensive, and right now a lot of people don't have that money to spend. We've talked about this b- before, Evan, but, but this, this study is just the latest in data that actually you were ahead of the curve on this, Evan, because I, just when everyone was saying divorces were up, you were saying not so fast. And this study also notices that marriages are, t- are down. So I don't know if that means, you know, five or six years from now, you'll have a lull in your divorce practice. But at any rate, your thoughts.
0: Dave, my thought is this, and and look, as you mentioned, we were ahead of the curve on this, on the Shine Up podcast, and we've talked about this, and we've broken it down before. There's so many considerations when determining when is the right time to get divorced. And the article, as you mentioned, it talks about the the cost involved, separation, getting two places to live, health risks because of COVID, and really financial considerations to name a few. And look, people haven't spent this much time together since their honeymoon, but right now we're we're entering the 11th month of COVID. And I think the big spike, as I've mentioned before, that people are expecting, it's going to happen. And the fallout from being quarantined and locked in an apartment and locked in a home with your significant other, your partner, your spouse, it's going to happen. But there needs to be that change or return to normalcy mm. for those dominoes to fall. Because I think depending on who you represent or who calls, you know, there's so many considerations. And whether it's a Broadway actress where, you know, Broadway production's not going forward. Or you take the owner of a company whose overall firm compensation may have been down this past year. The question still remains, is now the best time to get divorced? And there is a lot of discussion that should be had in that conversation. Malcolm Lemons is a professional athlete turned entrepreneur. He's the author of the newly released book, Impact Beyond the Game, how athletes can build influence, monetize their brand, and create a legacy. He is a contributor to the Huffington Post and public speaker. After graduating from Niagara University with a degree in business management, Malcolm went on to pursue a professional basketball career overseas. And now he helps athletes build their personal brands and prepare for life after sports. We're gonna talk to Malcolm about sports and mental health, financial literacy, how an athlete can build a brand and the importance of protecting it. We're gonna ask Malcolm, if he was asked by the commissioner of the NBA, Adam Silver, how to effectuate change on mental health, financial education, and social change, what would he do? We're going to get into all of this and much more with Malcolm Lemons. Malcolm Lemons, nice enough to join us. I appreciate the time. Malcolm, how are you? I'm doing great, Evan. appreciate the opportunity, man. Absolutely, of course. And Malcolm, you are a former professional athlete and author of the newly released book, Impact Beyond the Game: How Athletes Can Build Influence, Monetize Their Brand, and Create a Legacy, which is absolutely fantastic. It's terrific. Everybody should pick up a copy. There's so many incredibly important lessons in the book. You're also a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, a thought leader a voice and resource for so many people and athletes out there. And I know from our conversations, Malcolm, you're someone who is so passionate about and cares so deeply about issues affecting athletes on and off the field, mental health and finances being two of them. And we're going to discuss both in depth. I want to start by asking you about your platform, Athletes Unheard, which you just launched. Where does the name Athletes Unheard come from and what is the mission?
1: Uh, Yeah, it's a great question. And first and foremost, I appreciate that beautiful introduction. I got to get you to do all my intros. Um, But yeah, man, Athletes (laughs) Unheard is is, is really just a platform where I'm kind of scratching my own itch. For me growing up, uh, mental health, mental wellness is something that wasn't talked about, especially within the athletic community. And I felt that as I've gotten older, me not talking about my feelings or showing certain emotions or really expressing myself has manifested itself in, in negative ways and has really been kind of detrimental to my my growth as a, as a man as an individual and i noticed you know going through covid and the the amount of just angst that we've experienced during 2020 how there were so many other people and athletes who uh were really struggling with the same things that i did and still uh, you know still are in some, some regards and so Um, I wanted to have a safe space and outlet for athletes to come and be able to share their experience and really talk about mental health openly and candidly, um, because it's something that is still very stigmatized and taboo in in the sports world and in in the world in general. And so that's really what our mission is. We're trying to um, empower athletes and really change the way they think and and speak about mental health and wellness so that um, they're, they're better educated, they're more empowered to Um, take care of their mindset and they really have a understanding of why it's so crucial to do, especially when they have so many uh, external pressures and things that they have to balance outside of being an athlete. Um, And so, you know, we're, we're, we're using storytelling uh, through various mediums to do so and really just getting, giving athletes an outlet to talk about these things.
0: Malcolm, you mentioned two things I want to touch on. You mentioned that mental health is not something that's talked about whether it's the youth level, college level, why not? It's a good question. Um, I
1: think uh, partially because it's something that, you know, you can't really see. You know, we we talk about physical health and fitness um, and when an athlete gets injured, you know, you can can see the injury. You can visibly tell what type of pain they're going through um, when it comes to their body. Mental health is not like that. It's very taboo because uh, of that regard but also because I think a lot a lot of times people associate mental health with mental illness um, and those are two completely different things for mental health that exists on a continuum where you know mental health can be anything from you're thriving to you're feeling great from from a headspace um, you're doing very well to you know you're not doing very well you're depressed and you're very anxious and so it's not um, it's not something that you know people hear mental health and they automatically cringe or they get you know uh, scared to talk about it because they think you know it means you're going crazy or you have something wrong with you when that's completely um, untrue. So I think we have to disassociate uh, mental health from mental illness and see those th- two things as, as being very separate because they are um, and really normalize expressing ourselves, talking about our feelings because we all have them. At the end of the day, we're all humans. Um, we all go through similar challenges on some level and um, talking about these things and being open about it can kind of de de-stigmatize, um, what mental health means in our, in our culture, and our society. So I think that's primarily why um, it, it's people shudder when they hear mental health. Um, but it's having that understanding and really being educated on both sides of the equation so we can um, kind of grow and learn and, and and be more open.
0: Malcolm, that's such a great point. And I want to ask you about, quarantine and COVID and really the struggle that so many athletes may be going through during this time. Over the past year, athletes, whether it's the NBA, athletes were playing in a bubble. They were not allowed to see family and friends. Athletes were faced with the incredibly difficult choice to play or to stay home. And obviously, there's health and safety concerns and family concerns. And there's been reports that athletes are are lonely you know, playing in the bubble, not seeing family, not seeing friends. How do you see what's happening with professional athletes during this time specifically? What do you see going forward and how could it be addressed in terms of the league's organizations creating more awareness and putting more programs in place to help athletes deal with things they may be feeling and experiencing off the
3: court?
1: Yeah, I think that's a fantastic question. I think the NBA and the NFL uh, specifically, those kind of being the two uh, more popular and notable leagues in this country uh, when it pertains to sports, um, I think they've done an incredible job taking a step towards helping their players uh, with their mental health and their mental wellness Uh, whether that's, you know, putting someone, you know, in the players association who has expertise in in this in this field or assigning psychologists and mental health professionals to each team. Um, I actually have relationships with a couple of these professionals that work within the organization. So um, they're really taking a a, a bigger approach and and, uh, a stronger understanding that, you know, these these players going back to being human. Um, they deal with a lot from family issues to external pressure uh, from the media and fans having to perform, um, you know, nine months out of the year on, at, a, at a very high level. It takes a lot out of you. So I think, um, you know, they're, them understanding that uh, they, they have to have the, the, this type of programming and, and these resources in place so that their, their athletes can Um, be in a good space on and off the the playing field, I think is really important and and I applaud the leagues for doing so. Um, But I think, you know, going back, you know, even, you know, looking at two years ago when Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan kind of spoke up and talked about their struggles with um, anxiety and depression, um, that really kind of opened the door for other athletes to start sharing and talking about their struggles. And I think that is a trend that we'll start to see more and more, Um, especially, you know, I talked about going through COVID, Um, the bubble was very, very difficult for a lot of those guys because it was the first time uh, they had been away from their families uh, for that extended period of time for that long Um, and being just kind of isolated and and not really having much to do. um, I think it was really challenging for a lot of guys. So uh, I I think, you know, as we, as we, you know, progress and hopefully move towards a post COVID world, um, those, those challenges, the, the, those effects are still kind of lingering in some aspects. And so I think more and more athletes will begin to talk about mental health. Um, They'll be more transparent about their experiences um, and that'll just help kind of the whole ecosystem grow um, and and really just expose uh, one another and and kind of just share our stories to that. Um, You know, going back to just learning about what mental health means and, 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 uh, you know, being in a place where it's not so taboo. So I think, you know, More and more athletes. We'll just start to see more and more athletes kind of share their stories and talk about those things.
0: Now, can you bring up such a great point? And you mentioned Kevin Love. I want to play a clip from Guardian Sport from October 2018 titled It's OK Not to Be Okay.
2: I want to share my story so I can help. Understand that it's okay to not be okay. It's time to
0: talk. It's time to change. When I played football, that was my language. That's how I communicated. Um, and when that was taken away from me, um, I just felt like I was nothing. I was no one.
2: You know, you got so much responsibility um, as an athlete to your team. You know, you got to play at a certain level, and um, your teammates counting on you. You got the pressure from the media.
1: You know, when you experience the highs, and obviously you going
0: to experience the lows, and it's it's coping with the lows that is the most difficult part.
2: When. You know I got into my my state I, It hit me like a brick was, was that because I didn't of... tell anyone because I didn't want anyone to think differently of
3: me when I was playing rugby my my feet were not planted deep they were mm. shallow anything was knocking me around and I felt like it was a balancing act I had to fight against this fight against this fight against this and hold on and survive and you know win a game and it was just thank God for that let's move yeah, on yeah, yeah. I suffer from depression depression is with me on a daily basis it is time for sport to accept its responsibility with this issue. There's records, there's numbers
1: that I'm really close to, and of course I feel pressure, but I will play,
3: I will fight, and I will keep going
1: on. My thoughts of wanting to to take my life, they don't define me and and they will never define me and they'll never win.
2: Struggles are going to happen in life. You know, you're going to get punched in the mouth at some point, but understand that you can get back up and dust yourself off and and get back
0: out there.
1: And everybody's going through something, and everybody, uh, you know, has things that you can't see, you can't touch, that um, you know they're walking around with every
2: day. If your eyes are, hurt, you go to the opticians. If your head's hurt, and you go and see someone about mental health, it'd be nice just to let it out rather than keeping it in, because the more you keep it in, the more you explode. I don't know why I opened up and talked about it, but I, I guess I was just sick and tired of just having it inside of me for 20 plus years, and and I was ready to make a change. I'm glad I got
0: through it. Malcolm, there's so much to unpack here. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask you about the clip, which features top athletes and stars, Olympian Michael Phelps, Kevin Love, NBA superstar, who you mentioned, Colton Wong, Major League Baseball player, retired boxer, Frank Bruno, and so many others. When you hear a clip like this, what's your takeaway And what's the answer to getting more athletes to open up, to use their platforms, to talk about their struggles and what they're going through? Yeah, I mean, first of all,
1: it's an incredibly impactful clip. I think I I, I haven't had a chance to see that. And the first thing that really comes to mind is that it's heartbreaking that a lot of these athletes didn't even feel comfortable in their own right to open up and talk about these things. And it goes back to, you know, there's such a Big stigma in the athletic community that we're always expected to be tough, to be mentally tough, to be physically tough, to not show any weakness, to not display those emotions, and it's so detrimental to our 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 growth as a person, and it it, it leads to more issues. It just compounds over time. Um, so I think that you know when we're trying to get other athletes to open up and talk about their struggles um that's where it starts it's 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 really amplifying those conversations those stories that we just heard um and and normalizing it and 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 really kind of removing this um fear of speaking out um and and that has to come from the coaches that has to come from parents that has to come from administrators um at universities there needs to be a, a infrastructure to where um athletes are comfortable talking about these things because right now frankly it's just not there it's not there on so many different levels Um and as I said before, it just compounds over time and athletes um will be we experience more issues if they're not able to be open. Um and so I think, you know, that's that's why our 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 slogan at Athletes Unheard is amplify the unheard because we want to give a voice um and a platform for athletes who are, are in fear of speaking out or might feel like they they don't have that at their university or within their team, um, a place where they can talk. You can come and, and kind of voice your your story, your your experiences to us, because um, this is the platform where we do that. And so I think that that's where it starts. We have to have um, you know an ecosystem uh, infrastructure to where more more athletes are able to be comfortable uh, sharing these things and talking about their their struggles and their experiences.
0: Malcolm, that's it's incredibly important and, and absolutely brilliant. And you mentioned the support network that athletes need, whether it's educators, family, parents. And I wanna ask you about family. And Nicole Phelps, the wife of Michael Phelps, she did an interview with Today Parents yesterday. And she talked about how in the early part of 2020, Michael was dealing with depression. And he's been incredibly forthright and open about his mental health struggles. But when it comes to family support, how important is it? And it's not something that everyone has. So if it's not support from family, where else could athletes and people turn to, to get that support?
1: It's, it's really difficult. Um, I, I would say, you know, looking at my experience I, growing up, I, I, I'm i very close with my family, but I, I couldn't imagine being in high school and going through some of the things that I went through, uh, talking to my mom or talking to other family members that I was close to about it. So it's very uncomfortable, even for people who are close with their family members. Um, but I think that Uh, you know, we all have to understand, going back to my point about us being human, it doesn't matter who you are, what background you come from, what race you are, we all have struggles. We all have different things that, you know, bother us or um, that we're dealing with uh, from an adversity standpoint in life. And so when you create um, spaces for people to just be candid and be open about these things, um, or even, you know, as a family member, you start to share your struggles or, something that you might be dealing with with you know whether you're you're a parent of an athlete or a family member of an athlete if you come and and be the first person to open up that allows the other person to kind of do the same and i think creating systems of trust and um openness is very important and, and it kind of goes both ways so i think being the first to move being the person that um is willing even if you don't know if somebody's struggling with something um, just being there and, and asking, you know, how are you feeling today? How how are, you, how are things going in your life? Um, that question can go a long way and, and allow somebody to be transparent, um, even if there is no expectation of uh, depression or anxiety or that, you know, they're feeling some type of way. Just asking that question, how are you doing today, um, especially in this day and age, um, is really important. Um, and then for the athletes who might not have uh, the family members or people that in their circle that they, um, can go to or trust. Um, I I would say lean on coaches, lean on, um, somebody in your life who you feel like you can kind of take that step with or build, um, you know, a relationship to where you're, you're able to be vulnerable. You're able to be open. Um, I I feel like, you know, you have to have some that that person in your life because no one can get through life alone. And, And so it's so important Um, to really find a way to kind of bridge that gap and put somebody in your corner or start to build trust with somebody that you feel like you can open to on some level and just start that process.
0: And Malcolm, that's such a great point. And you're right, it could be as simple as just asking someone, how are you? How's your day? How are you feeling? And then it creates, as you mentioned, the trust, the acceptance, the openness to have that dialogue and to have that conversation. I want to ask you about the concept of pressure, and you touched on it. You heard Damian Willard, the NBA player, um, and Serena Williams, the tennis megastar, and who's been an inspiration to so many people, talk about pressure, the pressure to win, the pressure from teammates, pressure from the media, pressure from family and friends. As someone who has competed in sport professionally, can you talk about this day-to-day pressure and the toll that it takes mentally and physically on an athlete while playing?
1: Yeah, it's, it's extremely challenging. I think that, you know, even if you have expectations for yourself and how you're supposed to perform and what you're supposed to do, and even if, you know, you've been playing sports for 20 plus years of your life and you know, you're supposed to be this great athlete. There's still so much outside noise that it's it's impossible to escape from. You know, whether that's on social media or, um, you know, in your family life or uh, the fans. You know, it, it it gets to athletes at the end of the day. It gets back to them. Um, and, and so I think that, you know, for a lot of these athletes, they're dealing with so many different things. And and you know, I, I look back on my playing experience. Um, social media wasn't as prevalent as as it is today. I officially stopped playing in 2017. And um, even when I was in college, you know, I I wasn't that active on Instagram and and Facebook and and all that stuff. Um, But I can't imagine being an athlete nowadays, especially for some of these younger athletes, um, having hundreds of thousands of followers. And, you know, if you if you do have a bad game, it's posted online and, and people can jump in your comments and just talk trash or Uh, send you derogatory remarks so dealing with that is just it's just really really hard to perform at a high level and kind of tune out all that noise no matter how much or how long how good you are how long you've been playing Um, there's still a lot to balance there so I think um, having the understanding that athletes are people um, and really humanizing athletes at the end of the day and understanding they're not some you know superhuman that doesn't feel any pressure or pain or can just handle every everything that's thrown at them, um, a lot of these athletes aren't like that. You know, they, they experience fear, they experience pressure, they experience stress like all of us. And so um, I think from a fan standpoint, from a media standpoint, having that empathy and that understanding is really important and it goes a long way.
0: And Malcolm, tell us more about your playing days and and, and really what you learned from playing sports, from playing basketball, and then life after basketball, how it motivated you and impacted you to create the platform and everything you're doing to support athletes on and off the field.
1: Yeah, I would say uh, being an athlete taught me everything that I know today. A lot of the, you know, traits and intangibles that I've carried over from basketball um, have have been, you know, very instrumental to my success so far as as a business person, you know, everything from, um, you know, hard work and diligence, consistency, um, teamwork, being able to work with people from different backgrounds, um, to you know organization, all these different things that you know. In hindsight, as when you're an athlete, you don't really understand you know the skills that you're building, the the um, kind of the, the intangibles that help you be successful in life after sports. And a lot of athletes don't think they're prepared for that transition. But in many ways, we're more prepared than we really give ourselves credit for um, because we've been able to juggle being an athlete. Uh, school work and all these different things so um, I I, I say you know I give all 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 my success you know all that is credited to being an athlete Um, and you know even going through that transition while I did have a lot of these skills that have been very crucial um, it's still a very difficult transition because you know you go from having your identity tied into one thing and, and being so associated with and being an athlete to now having having to figure out what the rest of your life is going to look like or change your passion something that you felt like you could do forever and so um, it's something that I think a lot of athletes need to uh, be cognizant of that one day the game is going to end um, and to start preparing for that transition earlier as opposed to later because no matter what level you stop playing on uh, it's still going to be very hard to walk away from the game and and figure out what what you know the next 30 40 years of, of your working life is going to be like so
0: and hey Malcolm you make such a great point point. and back in the day believe it or not I had somewhat of a basketball career although unlike you my, my career peaked in about eighth grade um, <laughs> and you mentioned something earlier which is when an athlete gets hurt and suffers a physical injury there's a process you sprain an ankle you ice the ankle you rest you don't play a game or practice for two weeks and then you recover, you do physical therapy and you're back on the court. When it comes to mental health and working with athletes, there doesn't seem to be a similar approach. Is that true? It's a good question. Um, I, and right now,
1: I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not a mental health expert or professional, uh, but I don't think there is a process to kind of assess that. And, you know, it goes back to, uh, mental health being something you can't really see, or it's not tangible. Um, I, I think about the Kyrie Irving situation right now, you know, as you, as you brought up this question, because, you know, Kyrie Irving is taking a leave of absence and says, you know, he, it's for mental health reasons. And um, there's a lot of different opinions and perspectives on whether he should be able to take, you know, leave away from the team, whether or not he should be playing and how the Nets are gonna kind of approach the whole situation. Um, but I, you know, I I ask other people, I'm like, if you needed, you know, time away from your job because you were experiencing something or you know, you were denied you were denied your PTL, how would you feel? And I kind of look at it in the same regard. At the end of the day, basketball is a job for these people. Um, there's a lot of different things that's happening in the world right now. We're all dealing with it on, you know, in different ways. And I think Kyrie, um he's got a lot of bad flack in the media um over the past several years for certain things that he's done and said. Um, but I think if you know, his intentions are right and he actually needs this time to be with his family or take time away from the team for mental health reasons, um, I, I, I wholeheartedly feel like he should be allowed to do so. Um, but it is a very, very you know, tricky situation when you're dealing with players who could just not want to be playing in this moment. So you don't know. It, it, it's very hard to kind of assess the situation from a mental health perspective.
0: Well, when, and when I saw the, mo- you know, the, the news the other day and you mentioned Kyrie Irving. I thought it was great. You know, I thought it was wonderful. I look, everyone needs a day. People need more than a day. And, but you're right. You mentioned social media and Twitter and Instagram and not everyone shared my opinion or your thoughts and opinion. And, you know, you talk about pressure, you talk about mental health, not everyone shared the same thoughts that you have. And I have about Kyrie taking that mental health day. Um, But I, you know, I'm curious to see how that unfolds and especially how Brooklyn, you know, the Nets handle that. Um, I want to ask you a final question on mental health and we're going to shift gears to finance. There needs to be change in the way mental health for athletes is approached and addressed. That's clear. And you're on this great path and mission with your platforms to really be a voice for change for so many athletes, whether it's a youth sports director, the NCAA or NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, they come to you and say, Malcolm, what can we do? Where does change happen? Where does it start? What's your answer?
1: I love this question. Um, I I think for me personally, uh, what we're doing is, is, you know, we're, we're trying to give athletes a space to tell their stories. And I think the healing process begins when we start talking about it. So, if it's a league or, or team, um, I think the first thing is to create uh, a space, whether that is group settings or individual, where it's almost mandatory for athletes to at least talk about something. It doesn't have to be the, the worst thing that they're experiencing right now or the most traumatic uh, event that took place in their life, but having people there um, to just have dialogue with these athletes is so important. And i don't I, I think it's largely understated um it, we need to have space to talk about our feelings and our emotions and i don't think that's something that is a priority um obviously for 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 these teams in these leagues at the end of the day they want their athletes to do a job and that is to you know play the sport um and i understand that but we also have to take it take into account um the person behind the athlete and understanding that, if they're doing better from a, a mental standpoint, from, from a mental from a mental perspective, they're going to perform better on the playing field. You know, those two kind of go hand in hand. So um, having almost mandatory dialogues or, or group sessions, whatever the case may be, um, I think goes a long way when it comes to an athlete's performance, how they handle external pressure, how they handle stress, um, and just how they d- develop and grow as, as a holistic person. Uh, well beyond sports. And so if these these leagues and these teams really care, um, they'll start to do these things. And I think they are. I think they they are taking a step towards, um, you know, more resources and programs when it comes to mental health.
0: Malcolm, that's such a great answer. And let's shift gears and talk about money, brand building and finances and athletes and, and life off the field. I want to ask you about an article in the New York Times by Jordan Tyker which was published on December 19th, 2020. And the title of the article was on LinkedIn, pro athletes make their next move. And there's so many opportunities for current athletes and former athletes to earn income, build brands, develop strategic partnerships. How does this message get out there? And when is the best time for athletes to really think about life after sports?
1: honestly it's just start the minute that an athlete start starts playing because it's inevitable um you know a lot of a lot of people will tell an athlete not to have a plan b and and I don't think because you know that that would say that you're not really going all in on your plan a and I disagree with that when it comes to sports uh maybe not when it comes to other professions but sports is something that has to end one day your body is not going to allow you to play a game for the rest of your life and so athletes you know whether they, are fortunate enough to be like you know tom brady or or lebron james and, and play for 20 plus years in the league um at the end of the day we still see these these athletes who are the best in the game they're doing things outside they you know tom brady has tb12 fitness team and and a nutrition company he's absolutely of course right he's involved in all type of different business ventures LeBron James has uninterrupted Spring Hill entertainment so they're doing all these um you know business ventures that that aren't really related to their um to their day-to-day job of being an athlete but you know they've been able to use that platform they've been able to use football basketball whatever sport you know other athletes play as a as a um a springboard have these other opportunities and I think that's something to note for every athlete um, is that no matter what level you play on there is somebody who who looks up to you who aspires to be like you you have a a fan base and a community um, that supports you and being able to tap into that to build those relationships and connections and kind of leverage that influence to have opportunities outside of the game is extremely important um, and something that we're starting to see other athletes take advantage of especially you know, I look towards NIL and the type of, you know, opportunities that are going to come for some of these student athletes. You know, I I talked about how, you know, you got guys coming out of high school who have hundreds of thousands of followers, think about monetarily, how that's going to impact them going into an NIL landscape and and, um, just the amount of options that they'll have to monetize their brand. So I think athletes really need to start capitalizing early and often, um, and start to engage in dialogue with their community and build Um, those other opportunities so that when they do transition, um, they have, you know, something to fall back on, they have their next passion or their next uh, career opportunity already in place. And they're not scrambling trying to figure out what that what the rest of their life is going to look like.
0: Malcolm, you mentioned, you know, social media, you mentioned the college level, the high school level, that's all the more reason there needs to be education at a young age, you know there needs to be financial literacy programs in place. And as you said, the dialogue needs to start early on. And you mentioned two athletes, Tom Brady and LeBron James, who have had Hall of Fame, epic, outstanding careers. Both of those players, they're still playing. They're playing for 20 plus years. But I want to ask you because most athletes earn a lot of money in a very short time period. And they also earn a lot of money at a very young age. And they're really being asked to make incredibly important life decisions, really financial decisions with enormous amounts of money. And for me as a family law attorney, I work with athletes, I work with entertainers, before marriage, during the divorce process, when it comes to assets and income and really protecting brands in prenuptial agreements. And I've heard the stories, you've heard the horror stories of athletes going bankrupt, Losing their money and bad investments, being taken advantage of by a bad financial advisor or agent. Where's the problem when you hear horror stories like this? How does it happen and how could it be fixed?
1: I think I think for many athletes it starts. You know, and I, I don't think this is entirely their fault, but it starts with a, a lack of financial, basic financial education. And you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of my friends uh, growing up came from backgrounds and and uh, you know households where financial literacy wasn't preached, it wasn't talked about, they didn't know. And um, you know, some of some of these athletes come from these these type of environments, these neighborhoods, and they grow up and like, as you said, they get an influx of, you know, all this money at one time, and they have no idea what to do with it, how it works, you know, the basic, you know, financial one-on-one, they, they, they just, sure, they don't know sure. anything. And so they often delegate, you know, this stuff to other people who might have been connected to them from, a, uh, from a, their agent or someone else that, you know, they thought they could trust. And, um, you know, they they put all this on that person to manage the money and, you know, five years, 10 years from now, they are done playing sports and they have nothing. So they, I think, you know, coming from where these athletes come from, um, it, it's very difficult to, you know, take on that amount, that amount of money and know what to do with it. Um, so I think, you know, as you said before, there needs to be Uh, more programs, resources when it comes to financial literacy at younger ages and teaching these athletes that, you know, whether you go on to be a professional athlete or not, managing your money, understanding of taxes and just basic finances is going to be important in life. Everybody needs to understand it. Um, And and so it's very difficult for athletes. And I think that's the primary reason why we see so many of them go broke is that they place, you know, they give all this money to somebody to manage it. Uh, without having a basic understanding of, you know, where their money is going uh, and how much they're making and just basic financial, you know, literacy
0: one-on-one. So. That's incredibly important and Malcolm, you mentioned neighborhoods and you mentioned when athletes go back home. And I want to ask you how hard is it for an athlete to come into a lot of money at a very young age and then say no to family, friends, relatives, high school friends when asked for money or when asked to invest in a business or when asked to let an uncle manage their money? How hard is it for an athlete to just say no when asked those questions? That's extremely hard. I mean, think
1: about it. (laughs) These are people who, you know, have aided you on the entire journey. They've been with you every step of the way. They contributed to the place that you're at right now. And you know, now you have all this money and they're asking for a little kickback or something that, you know, just to say that you appreciated their support throughout all these years. But you're like, uh, now no one's really comfortable giving somebody (laughs) $50,000. No, it's true. It's true. You know, so it's very, very difficult for a lot of these guys um, to tell their family members, their closest friends, no. Um, But I did hear one, I, I think it was either Matt Barnes or uh, Steven Jackson talked about this on their podcast. Um, one of them, whenever their friends or their family would ask them for money or pitch them a business idea and say, like, I need this amount of money. They'd be like, OK, cool. That sounds like a great opportunity. I'd love to get in. Bring this amount of money to the table. So if you know they ask for $20,000, bring like you know one fourth of it, uh, like $5,000, yep. and I'll, I'll put up the rest. And oftentimes people aren't serious about their ideas, their investment, they're just blowing smoke. So they're not gonna bring that money to the table. So I think that's an interesting way to kind of approach it uh, for athletes who may be struggling, uh, finding ways to tell their family members no, or don't just wanna outright say it is, is try to find an angle to where you're not saying uh, no directly, but you know, you're know you giving them, you're kind of putting it back on them and, and, and saying like, if you do this, then yes, I'll invest in this idea or I'll give you money for that opportunity. So um, it's kind of finding creative ways to kind of get around it, but it's, it's hard for any athlete at that level um, no matter what age they are.
0: Sure. No, I I love that idea and suggestion. Malcolm, I want to shift gears and I want to ask you about the social movements in the world that we're living in today, where so many people and athletes at all levels are hoping to create positive change in society, culture, politics, and so many other areas. How has the role of the professional athlete evolved and how has social media contributed and really provided a platform to assist in creating positive change? Yeah, I mean, to,
1: to be completely honest, I don't think the role has necessarily changed. I think it's been amplified. I think we stand, you know, as athletes, former athletes who are speaking out against injustice and uh you know the things that are happening in the world we're standing on the shoulders of athletes like Muhammad Ali and Bill Russell and John Carlos and these athletes who have come before us who have used their platforms they didn't have social media during the time but they still had a voice and they still had um notoriety and influence and um you know they took a stand for things that they believed in and and largely in in, in many ways they progressed um us as a society you know and and hindsight uh, because of the things they spoke out on because of the, the the stands and and the the courage that they, uh, that they took. And so uh, a a lot of these athletes are following in their footsteps. So uh, I look to, you know, I think the WNBA, I don't think they get enough credit. So I look at athletes like Renee Montgomery and Natasha cloud and them being able to sit out um, this past season uh, because because of the racial injustice and, and, and kind of what they wanted to do to help further that movement and, um, just to make an impact and, and so I give those females a lot of credit obviously I give the NBA the NFL some of like Colin Kaepernick some of these athletes who have been doing this for the past several years um, they deserve a ton of credit um, and they've kind of really pushed the movement forward and uh, really just used their their leverage their platform as an athlete and you talked about social media to kind of voice uh, the change that needs to be enacted in, in this country and so I, I applaud all these athletes and it's been Uh, really inspiring to see how they've inspired the next generation to kind of take a stand as well and and continue pushing for something that needs to be changed in this country.
0: Malcolm, it's a great point. And as we finish up on the Shine On podcast, I want to ask you about your book titled Impact Beyond the Game, How Athletes Can Build Influence, Monetize Their Brand, and Create a Legacy, which was just released in the summer of 2020. Tell us your inspiration behind the book? So
1: I, I think I got the idea to write the book, probably in late 2017, early 2018, maybe. Um, and that that was when, you know, conversations about student athletes being able to monetize their name, image and likeness were starting to heat up. And I noticed that, you know, as I, as I did research and put out content pertaining to name, image and likeness and just personal branding for athletes, I didn't see a lot of resources. I didn't see a lot of information out there that uh, was doing the same, that was you know, showing athletes like, here, this is what you need to be doing when it comes to your platform. This is how you can capitalize on being an athlete while you're still playing. And so I wanted to create a blueprint, a guide to show athletes you know, what personal branding is, how can you build your brand, what opportunities are out there for you to take advantage of, how do you use social media effectively, um, how do you build a network? And so, a lot of the stuff that I've been talking about over the past several years is just you know strategies and tactics um, that I put into this book and provided a lot of case studies of athletes who have you know you know going talking about LeBron James and Tom Brady. You know a lot of these athletes, um, even at smaller levels, have been able to leverage their platform, their brands, and um, you know create opportunities for themselves. And so. Uh, that's really what Impact Beyond the Game is about, is showing athletes, you know, what it means to build a brand um, and some of the things that they should be doing, no matter what level you're playing on, or what sport you're playing, um, to really prepare for that transition and to create a legacy that lasts years beyond, you know, w- when you're done playing.
0: Malcolm, the book is terrific. The lessons are invaluable. And I want to ask you, what is your advice to an athlete on the steps to take? to really build the brand and really take full advantage of the opportunities that are out there
1: <sighs> it's a great question um i think first and foremost athletes have to understand that um playing sports is is not a is not a career it's a job it's something that you do for an extended period of time but it, it ends one day for every athlete and and the sooner you understand that and you start to prepare for it, um, the easier that transition will be. Um, and so, in saying that, athletes really have to take advantage of that title of being an athlete. Because as an athlete, people want to people want to talk to you. They want to be in the same room as you. They want to network with you. You have a fan base that's very strong. Uh, you're at the peak. When you retire, that all goes away. The lights fade. No one, you're a has-been, you know? So, <laughs> <laughs> But that's why the
0: conversation needs to start early on.
1: Right, right. Exactly, exactly. And I think that, you know, when we see some of these athletes who, um, you know, are doing incredible things and, and making a difference in the world, um, you know, it, going back to inspiring the next generation, it, it, it shows the next generation like, hey, I can be an athlete and I can be this it doesn't box you in. And uh, it's why I love the slogan of uh, LeBron James company more than an athlete, because um, when you just consider yourself to be an athlete, you limit your abilities and the value that you can provide um, outside of dribbling the, a, a basketball, or throwing a football or hitting a baseball. It gives you um, a, a new perspective uh, and kind of reshapes the identity that people have placed you in. So when athletes understand that, when they capitalize on their platform, when they form connections and build genuine relationships with people who are invested in them as a person, not just an athlete. um, It it really, it really gives them, you know, options outside of the game and and helps uh, solidify their place in the world and helps them really see themselves as being so much more than. And um, I think that's the most important thing for athletes to really understand when it comes to uh, the game, uh, having an athletic career and being able to you know, create a legacy that, you know, really just gives you a platform for life, not just sports.
0: Malcolm, absolutely brilliant stuff. This was really great. You were doing such incredible work. Tell us where people can find you on social media and your different platforms.
1: Thank you, Evan. I appreciate the opportunity, man. This has been a blast and uh, I, I'm easy to find online. You can, uh, you know, find me on any social media platform at Malcolm Lemons. I believe I'm the only one in the world, um, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah. Or, or, you know, check out my website at MalcolmLemons.com. And then you can also uh, get the book on Amazon. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty accessible. Hit me up. Love to connect with people.
0: Malcolm, thank you very much for coming on the Shine on podcast. Thanks, Evan. Appreciate it, man. David, what a show as usual.
2: Yeah. Very, very Dave, great stuff from Malcolm. Great stuff.
0: No, absolutely. Tremendous. I want to thank everyone for listening to the shine Up podcast, the emails, the questions from listeners. They continue to come in on the next shine Up podcast episode. We're going to go through some of those questions and wow, Malcolm Lemons, Dave, as you said it, absolutely tremendous, such a stuff. thoughtful
2: guy, thoughtful guy, oh, yep.
0: just thoughtful, such valuable insight. You can pick up a copy of Malcolm's book, Impact Beyond the Game, on Amazon, and you can follow him on social media and his website. Malcolm is a voice for change, a resource for athletes at all levels, and someone on a mission to improve financial literacy and education and to bring attention to mental health issues in sports. To the listeners on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to your podcast, thank you for listening. If you like what we're doing on the Shine On podcast, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm Evan Shine, and we'll talk to you again real soon.